Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to the third part of our summer series. So whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. Um, All right. You guys ready to go this morning? So this summer, man, it's been so cool what God's been doing at this church. Uh, just how many guys just like you're, you're brand new just this summer? Can you just like, you don't got to raise your hand, but just maybe like a sharp, like, yeah, I'm kind of new-ish. I, I realized kind of the second it came out of my mouth, that's super uncomfortable um, <laughs> for people. But the Lord's been doing this cool thing where he's bringing new people to Kingdom Church. And uh, I figured, why not offend everyone today? Because it's the middle of summer. Come on, somebody. First Peter chapter 3. Follow with me. Don't lose me. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. <laughs> no amens yet. <laughs> and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble, and do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessings because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. You guys still with me? All right, I want to call our message today, Flip the Script. Flip the Script. Come on, let's put our hands together for the Lord one more time. You guys can find a seat this morning. Uh, hey, as you find your seat, can you just say hello to the person in your vicinity? Just say, welcome to church today. All right, as we get going today, uh, let's, uh, let's put up the next slide for a second. I don't know if it's been up today, but um, this morning we are continuing our series that we have been in for the last two weeks. Now, the slide behind me, if you're astute, has slightly changed since last week. You might be thinking to yourself, well, what's happened? Well, for the first two weeks, we were calling this series Summer loving. And we just said, you know what, the church is going to be hot, and it's summertime, and so let's just like, let's keep the summer vibes going. And we're going to go every week where the spirit leads, no real theme for this series. Um, And then week one, we talked all about legacy. And anyone here for the legacy uh, beginning of this series? And I just, I felt uh, this week that we needed to shift this series from summer loving to summer legacy. Because I think that what I want to talk about um, for really the, the, the overarching theme in this series will be about legacy. And, and how do we leave behind a good legacy? And again, week one, pretty clear, right? Like, what are you leaving behind? What, we're, what, what, what are we doing today that's affecting the generations to come? Last week, we talked all about giftedness. How many guys were here last week? Talked about spiritual gifts. We says in, at Kingdom Church, we said every member is a minister, right? God has given you something. 
And uh, I talked to someone last week, because I, I said last week that we're, we're still keeping the legacy vibes kind of going. We talked about gifts. And then someone said, well, what does spiritual gifts have to do with legacy? Now, the beauty of the Summer Legacy series is that legacy, much like summer loving, is extremely open-ended. Meaning I can really go anywhere. Because the truth is this, everything that I do today sets in motion who I'm becoming tomorrow. And so what that means is literally, I could call every sermon for the rest of my life a legacy sermon, and it's going to fit that theme somehow or some way. And so what I want us to understand this summer as we talk about concepts and, and gifts and look to the future, everything that I'm doing today sets in motion who I'm becoming tomorrow. Does that make sense? In short, my legacy is being built right now, not in the distant future. Today, my thoughts, my actions, my attitudes are shaping my tomorrow. And so what I want to talk about today really is a certain thought pattern that I think a lot of us have when it comes to culture. So as we get going, um, I'm going to teach for a little bit. Can I just quickly teach? I need you guys to say with me, and if you would love to just vocally like, let me know you're there as I teach, that would be amazing, because um, I, I, I can't lose anyone. So I called this message today, Flip the Script, because what I want to do is I want to talk about these things I call cultural scripts, cultural scripts. Now, every culture throughout the history of, of time has, has had what I would call a cultural script, and all a cultural script is this, it is the thoughts and the assumptions and the ideas that people as a culture hold to be true. Does that kind of make sense? A cultural script are the thoughts, assumptions, ideas that cultures generally hold to be true. Every culture has a script. In Canada, simply all of us, how many of y'all Canadian in the room or at least live in Let me rephrase it. How many guys live in Canada in this room? And, any, any visitors in this place outside of Canada? Where's my cousin at? He's here. He's an American boy. Um, as Canadians, in 2023, simply by living in Canada, all of us are beginning to develop what I would call a cultural script. And how it's developed is simply by osmosis. How many guys remember science class? <laughs> Come on, a few science people. Some of you guys like, please don't take me back there. But... Osmosis is the simple idea of like, and where I'm going with it today, not so much like the membrane and all that good stuff, but more so this idea that like things are being sucked inside of us simply because we exist in this culture. We are every single day bombarded by thoughts, ideas, so on and so forth. And these thoughts, ideas, beliefs begin to develop a way in which we view the world. Is everyone with me? As Canadians we have specific scripts for how we view the world. I would say it like this. I'll give you guys an example so everyone would follow. I, I would say, and you guys can tell me if you agree, disagree. I would say as Canadians, one thing that we value in 2023 would be freedom. Like Canadians value freedom. And what I mean by that is like we as Canadians, we're polite, all that good stuff. But ultimately, we don't like being told what to do. We want to do what we want with our bodies. Like, don't tell me what to do with my body. Don't tell me what to do with my time. Don't tell me where to work. Don't tell me who to love. 
don't tell me what's appropriate and what's not appropriate because ultimately, all that matters is my freedom. Would you guys agree it's kind of a Canadian like value that we have, freedom? Um, and one of the ways that you can know what a, ca- a culture values um, is by examining the things that a culture doesn't like. And so one of the ways that I know that our culture kind of values freedom is because we don't like commitment. Because we view commitment as the opposite of freedom. Like if I commit relationally, if I commit, um, we got the boys back there, good, sorry. I just want to make sure everyone's got a seat this morning. We're amazing. Shout out to Jake and Kendra back there. Iona, love y'all. What an amazing team. How many guys know every member is a minister? Come on, somebody. Um, And so one of the things we don't like as Canadians would be like, again, as I said, commitment, right? We don't stay at jobs long. We don't stay in relationships long. uh, Because ultimately, we kind of view these things as barriers to freedom. And so as a culture, that's one thing we value. Everyone's following. Now, where I want to go today is I believe that as a culture, because we are formed, that means that we really have no choice in terms of what comes inside of us. However, what we must do as followers of Jesus is begin to ask the simple question, is my view on a particular topic formed by Jesus or by culture? That's what all of us as followers of Jesus must do for anything. Is my view on this particular topic influenced by culture or by Jesus? One of the things I would say, because a lot of people say, well, doesn't Jesus and freedom go hand in hand? Doesn't the Bible say it is for freedom that you have been set free? Amen? But what I would argue is that what culture sometimes calls freedom is probably more autonomy than it is actual freedom. And Jesus' version of freedom oftentimes comes in conflict with the typical Canadian's version of freedom. Jesus says freedom actually comes from commitment, commitment to the right things. Freedom sometimes comes from not giving up, but sticking through when times get hard. And ultimately, even if I'm tempted, I know if I don't fall, freedom is on the other side. Now, I'm not talking about freedom this morning. It could be offensive. It's not that offensive. I just need you guys to understand cultural scripts. Is everyone with me? What I really want to talk about this morning, and what I really hope maybe gets me canceled, I want to talk about... Um, but you can't get canceled when you preach the word. Come on, somebody. Um, I mean, you, you can. You definitely can. Um, I want to talk about gender. And most specifically, I want to talk about males and females. And why I want to do this is because I think that right now, culturally speaking, there are certain scripts when it comes to... To gender, and I would say there are two scripts in particular that I want to hit on today. Number one, what I want to hit, what what I want to hit on, um, is what I would call the biblical script that culture has when it comes to gender. A lot of people, whether they've been in church or not, kind of have the assumption that when it comes to gender, the Bible is repressive. Most specifically, the Bible is repressive to females. Right? The Bible is a, a patriarchal book that tears down women and elevates men. Um, even Christians who would say they believe the Bible, a lot of times they would kind of be afraid to like really dig in. Like, I don't know what the Bible says about gender, and I'm a little bit worried to find out. But if I knew anything, I would kind of think that like 
the Bible is maybe like anti-women at best. You guys ever heard this before? Or, or you've kind of seen this? And so I want to kind of look at that cultural script, and then I want to contrast that with what I would say the Bible actually says. Um, and then what I also want to do is I want to provide clarity in terms of how do we as men and women interact with each other? How do we live in our God-ordained sex as male and female? Because one of the scripts that I think is becoming far too often, or far too um, relevant, would be this idea that men and women are really in competition with each other. That ultimately, the only way for the other gender to succeed is to tear the other gender down. And again, I want to contrast that with what the Bible says. And I believe that God's picture uh, of gender, uh, specifically us as men and women, um, is better than you think. And that's where I want to go this morning. Um, and why I think this is important when it comes to legacy is that I think, culturally speaking, we're beginning to develop a toxic picture of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And what I want to do for not just this generation, but the generations to come, is I want to at least provide us with a biblical picture um, that can help us combat culture or if I see the Barbie movie. Come on, somebody. So, um, shout out to Christiane for the review she gave me uh, a couple days ago. So, uh, we're going to be in the book of First, First Peter chapter 3 uh, this morning. And what I want to do is just kind of look at this passage of Scripture. And again, we're going to use this passage of Scripture to flip the script that a lot of us have when it comes to gender. Now, uh, as I read it, you may not know this, but this passage of Scripture, and I would argue the New Testament as a whole when it comes to gender, is years ahead of its time. And I would ultimately argue the idea that we have for equality between the sexes exists today simply because of the Bible. So that's what we're going to get into. This Bible, the Bible is transcendent, years ahead of its time. You guys ready? So Paul is talking all about really the, the gender, uh, gender and submission within the context of marriage. Um, and then he says this in verse 7. He says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate to your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Now, I just told you the Bible is transcendent, years ahead of its time. Some of you guys are like, what's going on? Because <laughs> the Bible just called like 51% of the population weak. Now, here's where I want to start today. When it comes to difficult passages of scripture, I'm going to tell you my baseline for how I read scripture. I'm not saying it has to be your baseline, but if you want to use this, I think it'll be extremely helpful. Um, I have this belief that the Bible is the word of God. That's my baseline. I believe that it is inspired and written by people, but inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is literally God's word to us. I believe that God's word is transcendent, meaning it does not change. This is important. It doesn't change even if it offends me. That's my baseline. But I also believe God is good. And God is love. And so what I need to do when I look at scripture is I need to begin to see how do I reconcile these two things. And I actually believe that you can reconcile it every single time. So Peter, or Peter says, respect the weaker partner. What's he talking about? 
Here's where we need to start. We need to understand language. Now, one thing that is true, if you didn't know this, I'll fill you in. The Bible, uh, specifically the book of 1 Peter, is about 2,000 years old, give or take. It was written 2,000 years ago. If you did not know this, language changes over time. I, I would argue, Peter, if he wrote this passage of scripture today, he probably wouldn't use the word weaker. But I would also say the point that Peter is trying to make in this passage of scripture doesn't change in 2023 or 33 AD. It's the same. But language changes. I'll give you guys an example. We have summer students, interns, whatever you want to call them, working with us. And uh, I did some math. I am between like 7 and 11 years older than them, which isn't a big gap, relatively speaking. But one of the things that we have found is that there is a small language gap. And what I mean by that is sometimes I say things that were hip in 2011. And they don't know what I'm talking about. And they think they're really smooth because they use words like bussin'. And they say things like, that person's got the riz. Where's the young people at today? Now, what's interesting though, because I actually think that culture is changing more rapidly than ever before. And just like the gap in terms of like how things are shifting, like 10 years isn't a long time, but you can see how language is shifting. Like 30 years ago, if you talked about bussing, you'd be like, where do you clean tables? Right? Like, just like, okay, like he's got like a good, like what are you talking about? Like language shifts, right? So I give you guys an example of like a nine to 11 year gap. Now, take that for 2,000 years. Language shifts. You guys understand what I'm saying? And so this is important. You need to understand, there is language in the Bible that they would not use today. But because the language may be offensive to the modern mind, we don't throw out the scripture. We still have to dig in and figure out, what is this trying to teach me? Now, would Peter use a different word? I think so. Does Peter's point change? No. And I believe overarching, especially when it comes to the context of 1 Peter, he's trying to teach one lesson first when it comes to gender. Super simple lesson, it's this. Men and women are different. That's, that's the point. That's, that's, that's the big point. There's some sub points we're going to get into. But men and women are different. Now, at one time, this was normalcy. Today, what I'm saying might even be somewhat controversial. But the truth is this, men and women are different. Now, when Peter is describing women as the weaker partner, we need to understand, again, his biggest point is that they're weak, is that they're different. <laughs> his biggest point is they suck. No, that's not what he's talking about. Um, the biggest point he's trying to make is that they're different. And ultimately... What Peter is talking about in the passage is power. He's saying women are weaker when it comes to power than men. And when it comes to specifically what Peter is talking about, he's talking about two things. He's talking about women socially, and he's talking about women physically. Now, at this time, specifically, socially speaking, women were weaker than men. They did not have access to education like men had. They did not have social status like men had. They were not on the same level as men at this time. 
And so when Peter says they're the weaker partner, is he being offensive or is he speaking the truth? He's speaking the truth. Women at this time were the weaker sex, socially speaking. The second thing that I believe he's talking about too is physically. Now, physically speaking, all Peter is doing here is referring to biology. Now, if he did not know this, I'll let you know. I think that our eyes can do a pretty good test most of the time, but men, on average, have 75% more muscle mass than women. 90% more strength. Men have a higher bone density. Men have more fast twitch muscles that enables them to move faster and quicker, simply because of their gender. And so, physically speaking, on average, notice how I said on average. Anyone watch CrossFit? If there's some CrossFit ladies that could punch me out. <laughs> On average, men would be the physically, I'm trying to think of a better word, physically, um, I'll just say it, physically superior, sounds weird when I say it, um, sex. On average, right? On average, men would be stronger than women. And so historically, this is important, historically, this key fact has made women more open and vulnerable to abuse, to exploitation, to manipulation. And so what Peter is doing here is not trying to bring anyone down. He's simply providing a social commentary on what it meant to be a woman at this time. Is everyone following? Stephen Tracy says it like this. He says, in our fallen world, those with power, typically male, will use their power to exploit and abuse those with less power, typically women and children. Thus, to describe women as the weaker, as Peter does, is not to demean them, but to acknowledge the power disparity that exists between men and women. Does that make sense? That's what Peter's talking about. And so this is really important because in this passage, Peter, and we're going to see it in a second because it's clear, is not talking about worth. He's not saying that women are the less valuable gender. He is not saying that women don't have dignity. He's not saying that women cannot do certain things. He is simply providing a commentary on what would be seen as, at that time, common sense, that the woman is the weaker vessel. So all that to say, men and women are different, though. In biology, in physiology, we're different, but... What do we do with the differences? I want to read 1 Peter 3, 7 again, but I want to read it in the ESV because I like how they render it. It says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, take kind of the stuff I've been saying. We need to understand just how revolutionary this verse was. Because what Peter is saying, he's saying, you already know this is the weaker gender. This is the gender that gets exploited on a higher rate. This is the gender that at this time was seen more as a commodity than as a person. And so the word of God says show honor to the woman. Now, for Greeks and Romans who were reading this, specifically men, they wouldn't have liked this verse because this verse came into contrast with how they functioned. For them, the women being the weaker vessel gave them permission to do whatever they wanted. 
as I said, women were exploited at a higher rate. Equality in the ancient world did not exist. Power in the ancient world was seen as something that was your right if you had it, and you could exploit it however you wanted. Now, the church comes along, and Peter and others in specific provides a new ethic for how the genders relate to each other. And all of a sudden, in a world built on exploitation, Peter says, treat them with honor. And maybe we can't see it, and I hope that you guys can, but this was revolutionary for the time. But what I want us to understand is that Peter never diminishes or tries to get rid of facts in order to make his point. This is really important. He doesn't say, men, you don't have power. Therefore, honor. No, he keeps the facts in front of them. He says, as the more powerful vessel, it is your responsibility to honor. Here's why this is important. One of the scripts that we have in our culture today is that power is bad. Ultimately, we do not trust anyone in power. Anything that is powerful will ultimately and inevitably corrupt. Can power corrupt? Yes. Does power corrupt? Yes. Does it always have to corrupt? No. And this is where the Bible comes in, I think, sharp contrast with culture. Because what culture says is that if anyone ever has power, it will automatically and always be abused. The Bible is different. The Bible says God has created us, men and female, differently, specifically biologically speaking. But as men, I'm going to speak to men really quickly, we never use power to coerce. We never use power to manipulate, and we certainly don't use power in order to do as we please. As Christians, we use power to protect. This is really important. As Christians, we use power to protect. It is a God gift. Men of God, it's a gift. Therefore, we must protect. Now, women, in this place as well, you have power too. One of the things, again, in the ancient world, which is you know, maybe it's still true today, was that anything lesser, you were automatically superior. And so kids, like if women didn't have value, kids had even lesser value. And so same thing, Christianity comes along and says, hey, listen, women, you have power. Use it to honor. And so men and women of God, one thing that I think is true that intersects both genders is we have a responsibility to protect the next generation. The devil always wants to destroy. God gives us power to protect. Is that making sense? Power is a privilege, and in the kingdom, it leads us to honor. In our culture, what we're trying to do whenever we see power is tear it down. Whether that's in governments, whether that's males and females, whether that's in churches, corporations, there's this cultural script that says all power is bad. And I want to just challenge that a little bit and say, what if God gave people power? Because the Bible says that people in positions of authority are there because of God. Right? So what if God gives power not to exploit but to protect? Now, when people get exploited, is that God or people? It's people. But can we hold both hand in hand? I would say yes. So what our culture does, I think, many times, and this is specifically, let's go back to gender for a moment, what they try to do is instead of just talking about equality, the better thing to do is to tear down the other in order to elevate the latter. 
So what I think we're seeing today, especially when it comes, um, again, to, to males and females, is like we want equality, but the way in which we think to get there is by tearing the other down. Meaning if I can make a man look less than, that will rise me up. And a lot of this is response to thousands of years of men maybe putting women down. And so the pendulum always shifts, right? Sometimes it's one gender to the other, and it shifts back. So I'll give you guys a study. This is interesting. Um, Jim McNamara did an extensive media, media research um, study on how men are portrayed in the media. So he watched over 2,000 um, TV shows, talk shows, movies, interviews. This was kind of crazy. Look at this. In 75% of all media representation, it portrayed men as villains, aggressors, perverts, and womanizers. 75% of the media that he watched portrayed men as overtly negative. And a part of that undertone exists, I think, in order, culture, it's their way of saying, how do we raise up females? Culture says the best way to do that is to bring men down. The Bible provides a different ethic. That's what I want us to understand. Can I show us that? Is everyone still following? I know, I know I'm teaching a lot today. So, 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Husbands, consider it. Weaker partner, he says, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of God so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So, honor was crazy. The word heirs was revolutionary. Do you know what an heir means? Like, you guys have heard, like, they're the heir to the throne. Like, to be an heir means you have legal right to something. What Peter is saying, speaking about the kingdom of God and how God views things, he's saying, men and women, you are both heirs to all that God has in this life. Again, in a time where it was only men, the word of God says you are co-heirs. I love what Paul says in Galatians. He says, there's neither Jew nor, female, Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so ultimately, how does the gospel reconcile gender? It says, we don't need to tear one down to bring the other up. It says Jesus ultimately has died for everyone. And through him, you and I, male and female, we exist on the same plane. Equality comes through Jesus and through who he says we are. And that is where it is built. And not in this idea, and really what I want to critique, because I think it's becoming toxic, is that males and females are pitted against each other. And what happens, because maybe right now it seems like, okay, males are portrayed negatively. Um, the pendulum always shifts. And to be honest, it shifts a lot worse when men are the ones as the aggressors. And we don't want to get there. And so I think as the church, we have a responsibility to have a biblical picture of gender. Is everyone following? And so ultimately, here's what I want us to understand. What's the implication of co-heirs? Pretty simple. Men and women are designed to complement each other, not to compete with each other. My sisters are not the competition. Sisters, your brothers in Christ are not the competition. What if God created us differently in order that we could ultimately make each other 
better. Come on, yeah, you can clap your hand on that one. Genesis chapter one. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. This is really important to understand. As a man, there is a way in which you distinctly reflect the, the, the image of God. As a woman, there is a way in which you distinctly reflect the image of God. I, I was talking to Kendra this week, and we were talking about like gender roles and all of these things. I think one of the things that gets in the way of the beauty of this passage is we do stupid things like we try to classify genders by colors. Like, I wore a pink shirt last week. I wore a blue shirt this week. Come on, somebody. But understand this. Pink does not reflect the glory of God. Blue does not reflect the glory of God. You, as a man, simply by existing as a man, reflect the glory of God. No color needed. Women, simply by existing, you reflect the glory of God. And our differences together complement and make the world a better place. And the reason I talk about colors and dolls is because I think sometimes we get caught in stupid things that really just divide us. When ultimately, God created us in a way that we're united. Now, I think ultimately, and again, this is the season of life that I am in, um, I think one of the ways that we reflect God in his character, um, it really comes to fruition when you have kids. Uh, we have four kids right now, and I think one of the coolest things is just understanding, like, how God has designed men and women to work in the context of family. So, um, one thing I can't do, this may come as a shock, uh, I can't have kids, personally. I can help create them, come on, somebody. And I can enjoy it, but I can't, you guys didn't like that one, I can't, um, I can't have kids. But one of the cool things is like when, when, when the family comes and I was doing some research just into the biology of stuff. Because how many guys know science doesn't contradict God? Science, I think, points to God. Um, and one of the coolest things like in, in biology is just what happens when a baby is born. So when, again, we got four kids right now. Like young kids, come on somebody. Everyone this morning, I think because I mentioned it last week, everyone's like, how'd you sleep? I'm like, as good as you can. Uh, but what was funny is that, so Christy probably, you know, sleeps even worse than I do because she's got like a little baby. Um, and some nights she gets like two hours of sleep. Andrea, I see a Pat, and she knows what it's like. Um, and a lot of like girls that have been around have been like, man, how do you like survive on like 45 minutes of sleep? Like, I can't, I don't think I could do that. Um, and the truth is, uh, without a baby, you probably couldn't. But the body does something really cool when you're born, it begins to release all of these chemicals, all of these um, hormones. And one of the things that is released in women at a, at a very high level is what is called oxytocin. And oxytocin has so many cool functions in order to not just bond the child to you, but it also gives the woman exactly what she needs to sustain through the season. Now, as a man, when the babies are born, I got some hormones going too. But nothing near to the level of what my wife does. But what's cool, and I was just, again, reading this stuff, is one thing that actually kind of increases in men when babies are born is testosterone. And historically speaking, one of the reasons that testosterone 
um, is produced in men when babies are born was there was a time, crazy time, when you couldn't just go to save on foods to get groceries. And the man actually had to go out and continue to provide. And so you know what he needed in that time? He needed a little testosterone because testosterone sometimes gets you out of bed. It allows you to take risks. It allows you to do maybe that which you would not do normally. And as I'm reading those things, which is so cool, I see God's design to say, man, he knows what he's doing. The woman is not my competition. She's my ultimate compliment. And again, it's, it's, it's so clear in family, but I also think it's clear in every area of our lives. I love the church of Jesus because in the church of Jesus, and this is historically speaking, it has elevated women like no other place. Again, there's this idea that says, no, it's the opposite. Read history. The idea of equality comes from the church. And the church, historically and even today, has always grown heavily towards the female gender. And a part of it is because the church has always been a place where women are treated better than everywhere else. And I think God's kingdom, we work together and we make each other better. And I see it in our church. There are things that my sisters in Christ, in their God-given lanes, it's just like, man, I don't know if I could do that. And I think the opposite is true sometimes as well. And so we as Christians, we don't look at them as competition. Whatever the other gender is, we look at them as our ultimate complement. And ultimately, we know that we stand hand in hand when it comes to equality because they are our co-heirs in the kingdom. Is that making sense? Okay. I can't just close there because i got to hit one more thing. Because I know there's someone, maybe astute, you're saying, Harrison, I love what you're saying, but doesn't the Bible speak all about submission? And very specifically, doesn't it teach all women to submit to men? Because how can there be equality when there's submission? Uh, as, I, as I mentioned even briefly, the whole context of 1 Peter chapter 3 uh, is actually submission. The passage starts by Paul instructing, or Peter instructing um, the believers, uh, females or wives, to submit to their husbands. Now, a um, couple things I'll hit on. Number one, does the Bible instruct all women to submit to men? No. You won't find that scripture. Does the Bible instruct wives to submit to their husbands? Yes. But one thing I like to say is that submission is the language of Scripture. And what I mean by that is that if you don't like submission, you're not going to like the Bible. Because the language of submission is littered throughout. The Bible says wives submit to their husbands, yes. But in Ephesians chapter 5, right before that, Paul says husbands and wives submit to each other. In the preceding passage, he says things like, children, obey your parents. In the book of Romans, he says, submit to the government. Like, submission is everywhere. But here's the coolest thing. Do you want to know the ultimate example of submission? Jesus. You see, our, our, our problem is this. We view submission as being less than. That isn't the biblical definition or version of submission, and I'll tell you why. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity, three in one, submits to each other. Most specifically, if you didn't know this, the Son, Jesus, submits to the Father. 
in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, not my will be done, but yours. What's he doing? He's submitting. Now, this is, if you're a theology nerd, you got to follow along for a second. Because to say that Jesus is under the Father is what we call as heresy. No, no, Jesus is equal to the Father. They are three in one. But functionally, they play different roles. And so when Jesus submits to the Father, he is not any less more or less valuable than the Father. Is that making sense? And so in the context of marriage, when we submit, we don't become any less. All submission means is this. It means to come under. That's what submission means. And so ultimately, in the context of marriage, which is the only, listen to this, which is the only gender-specific form of submission that the Scripture talks about, it is not saying women become less than men. It's not saying your husband now makes the choices and you sit back and enjoy the ride. It's saying, no, ultimately, and this is how I describe it, as men, we come under submission of God. Our instruction, specifically within marriage, is to love our wives as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He died for the church. How do you love your wife? You better be ready to die for her. And so sometimes that means I have to die to my personal preferences. Come off somebody. And so ultimately, why do wives submit to their husbands? Because ultimately, they believe they're all coming under Christ and the mission of Jesus. And power, which we already talked about in Christianity, is never about exploitation, but always about protection. And so ultimately, in the same reason that children are to submit to their parents, is because children must believe that under their parents is protection. These people are following Jesus, and so I'm going to honor them as such. Again, to the modern mind, this idea of power or coming under something really scares us. But Christianity flips the script because we don't use power to protect. We use power to honor. We use power to serve, and we use power as a way to, I think, reconcile the sexes, not divide them. So one more thing if you're worried about power because I'll, I'll give you the best picture of what it looks like to steward power well. All of us in this room, both genders, at time, we have power. John chapter 13, I'm closing on this. Verse 3, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, this is near the end of his life. Jesus knows that he has all power. You guys following? Again, modern person, like, oh, that's a lot of power. All power. Look how Jesus responds. It says, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Do you guys see that? So ultimately, what did Jesus do with his power? He served. He served. Culturally speaking, and I know there's microcultures, so maybe in workplaces, things don't always follow the typical stereotypes, so on and so forth. But I want us to understand something specifically when it comes to gender and us as Christians. In whatever our context is, however the pendulum shifts, whether it's a man with power 
a woman with power, whether you're a boss, see whatever it is, as Christians, what do we do with our power? We follow the example of Jesus. The first thing that he did when he was given ultimate power is that he got down on his knees and he began to wash his disciples' feet. What a picture. Listen, maybe you're a man that's engaged right now. And it's like, oh man, I can't wait to get married and my wife's gonna submit to me. I'm gonna have some power. Okay, how about you follow Jesus' example? And you use that power and you steward it like a Christian and you begin to serve your wife. Come on. Power doesn't corrupt, people corrupt. Ultimately, God wants to give us power and authority. I think within our sexes, within our marriages. And so, in a culture where gender is pitted against each other, where people have this idea that the Bible is repressive, it's against women, what do we do? How do we handle this all? Number one, we flip the script. We change our picture, we get rooted in the word. If it's hard, I don't run away, I lean in. But here's the last thing. Peter says, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Here's the big one. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. What's crazy, I read this thing this week. It was an article. It was called The Power of Hate. And hate actually has this way to form relationships where it's actually like, it's, it's one of the things that our culture builds relationships on is mutual hate. Any of you guys have friends like that? Come on, somebody. And so there's actually something addictive about hate. There's something addictive about saying, I can't stand powerful women. Or I can't stand these men. And it can bind us together. But the gospel comes along and it says, hey, listen, listen, listen. We don't repay hate with hate or evil with evil. I don't care which way his culture is going. I follow Jesus. And what I know is that Jesus calls me to be like-minded, one accord, same page, sympathetic. Can injustices occur? Absolutely. And as Christians, we need to be friend of the line when injustice occurs, but with love, not with hate. He says, to this, you were called that you may inherit a blessing. And I know this is not like a typical message to preach, but it's one that I think is in my heart because I don't know if culture is getting better, but I do think the church can get better. And as we get better, we can begin to transform culture. Not all at once, but in our workplaces, in our schools, in our friend groups, in a culture that is built on hate, what if we became a people that were built on love? That's my hope, that's my appeal, because I want to flip the script. And I want to take that which the enemy was trying to use for evil and use it for good. Can we stand for a sec, church? So number one, I just want to pray for someone today because maybe you felt like the church or the Bible in some way 
is against you. I want you to understand God is for you and God loves you. So I want to just pray that idea away. Um, and I just want to pray for us as well, a commitment to say, man, may we be filled with the spirit of love. So, uh, Father, in this place, if there's someone that's ever been hurt by the other sex, if there's someone that's ever been hurt by maybe the picture they assumed of what the Bible says about gender, I pray today that a new script would be formed. I pray a new narrative for our hearts, for our minds. God, I pray as men and women of God that we can move forward in power, in authority, not as competition, but as the ultimate complement to each other. Help us to truly see that we are better together. And I just pray, Lord, for that spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead to dwell in us, to be able to combat hate with love, evil with hope. I just pray that over this church, over these people, we love you, Jesus. We pray in your mighty and holy name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to that message. If you want more information or made a decision to follow Jesus, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to connect with you. Until next time, take care.